Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest is the founder and principal consultant of Platinum Consulting Group. She is a nationally PHR and SHRM CP certified HR professional with extensive experience in the nonprofit, supply chain, construction, healthcare, higher education, and manufacturing industries. Her areas of expertise include HR management and talent development, training and instructional design, leadership coaching, and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. She has her bachelor's degree in organizational management and an MBA in ethics and business administration from Harding University. She's very active in the human resources and talent development community. She currently serves on the executive board of directors as president of the Detroit chapter of SHRM. She also serves on the Michigan State Council of SHRM and on the executive board of directors for the West Michigan Association for Talent Development. She's an active member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, the Lambda Rho Zeta chapter in Pontiac, Michigan, and serves in leadership roles on the state and regional levels. She's a sustainer member of the Junior League of Birmingham and is a National Arkansas Black Hall of Fame Foundation board member. Kamara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited. Is there anything you have not done? I have done a few things here or there over the years. (laughs) For those of you, before we started recording, I was like, what's happening in your world currently? Because every time (laughs) I chat with you, it's something different, right? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for coming on. I'm excited for this conversation, having the bit of HR experience myself. But I want to start from the beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up? Or what did you envision your future was like? Or how were you as a child? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've been very excited. I've been following you over your journey as a business owner and a social media extraordinaire. So thank you for the opportunity. When I was younger, I definitely wanted to be an attorney and eventually a juvenile court judge. That was my very definitive path in my mind. Everything I did was leaning into that career goal. So I definitely knew that I was going to go to college, then go to law school. And at one point, I was considering going to the military. I had gotten an appointment to the Air Force Academy. I had my recommendation letters from uh, state representatives and everything. My application packet was in place. And I was just too afraid to step outside of my box. I had never been outside of Arkansas, which is where I was born and raised. And I just could not imagine possibly having to live abroad at some point if I was in the military. So I passed. Whenever we look back on our lives and we think about that one decision, if we had done that differently, how things would turn out. And I would say that probably stands at the top of the list of my not going to the Air Force Academy. But I always wanted to be an attorney. I knew the attorney part. I did not know about the Air Force part. That's so fascinating. Yes. That's incredible. Okay. So you go to high school, of course, go to college, but were you still going down that same path when you went to college or talk to us on kind of the transition from high school to college? From high school to college, I, again, had gotten scholarships because I was laser focused as a teenager. So I graduated in the top 10% of my class, got full ride scholarships for both music. I played piano and I sing and also for academics. So I was set for college and then life happened. I ended up transferring colleges. I ended up having my oldest daughter. And so When life happens and you make decisions that maybe aren't the best path for future goals, you pivot. And so that's what I did. So my goal was just to be a great mom and to be able to take care of myself and my family. So I ended up finishing my undergrad degree as a non-traditional student. 
and went back to school later in life, got my undergrad, and then went back for my master's degree. At that point, I thought law school was not the best fit, you know, financially at that point, and just really trying to manage life in general. So I kind of pivoted and started thinking about human resources and business management leadership, because that really is one of my great assets and skill sets. I have really fashioned myself to be a great leader over the years. Do you remember where that interest in HR was or kind of transitioning into the business sector a little bit? Yes. My Aunt Betty, who we lost three years ago to brain cancer, was an HR practitioner all of my life. She would always talk about her passion and her enthusiasm for all things people. And she was so good and so well-respected in the HR community. She always had headhunters coming after her. And so that reminded me of you because I know back in the day you were a great recruiter. And she had recruiters chasing after her because she was so good. So they were always taking her from one company to the other. But I understood the importance of leading people effectively and talent based on Aunt Betty's experience in HR. So that helped me to understand maybe that's my path because I'm a great people person. I communicate well. I can manage people and resources. And so it was a great fit for my skill sets. I love this. Now, when you're kind of getting into HR and you have your own consulting business, and of course, you're in halls of fame and doing all these great things you've done. Now, I know you're huge with your sorority because I always see it on Facebook too of all the great things you do. But where does all of this fit in the picture of you? I know I talked before we started recording of like, what are you going to do in 23? Because you have 5,000 things you do. But how does either that like leadership piece that you have multiple leadership positions, like how does the puzzle of your life come together, I guess, is my question. Well, it's funny that you asked that because we were talking off camera and off audio that what do I want to be when I grow up? And that's what I want to be laser focused in 2023. I've done a lot of things at a lot of industries, you know, most of it focused on leadership and human resources, but I've poured into people my entire career, both outside, you know, in my paid career and all of my volunteer efforts. But I have neglected myself and I have not poured into myself as I should. So I have emptied my cup and helped probably over the years, thousands of professionals in some way bolster their career, leverage their skill sets and expertise to take their lives and their careers to the next level. You know, with my community footprint, we served in junior league together. So you understand our enthusiasm for community service. And that's what I've always done because that's what I grew up around. My parents were always super involved in the community. But there is a cost to that. And the cost is basically to my own further development because I give all my time and my attention and my energy to others. And so how that comes together at this point is I'm going to start funneling that energy back into myself and into my consulting business. And I will still continue my community footprint and that work, but I'm going to have more balance where I'm starting to grow myself and my brand. And those of us who have a heart for the community and others, we are not selfish. And so we don't think about ourselves first. But there is, I feel, a balance there where you can be selfish and you can start to think about what are my priorities to ensure that I am where I want to be this time next year. So that's what I'm thinking about, you know, creating my vision board on what I want to see for myself for the next 12 months. And I'm still mulling that about and processing and 
really trying to determine what my priorities will be. Because they could be a lot. I could be doing a whole lot like I'm doing now, or I can start paring down and being very strategic on where I pour myself into and frankly, where I don't. And that's exactly right. And it's so interesting because the last podcast I recorded, actually with Melanie from also Junior League, we had talked about this topic too of like how you pivot or how you can kind of be a little more selfish. And it's not even selfish. It's just giving that energy or it's, you know, what you put out into the world and focus on yourself. I mean, I know you've listened to the podcast and you know a bit about my story, but it's like, A, you're never ready. You're never, ever going to be ready to just do the damn thing, like I like to say. And it's just how you can kind of pivot with all of that. So I want to talk about more of your career. You got into HR, you worked for multiple industries there, but where did this thought to start your own consulting business or what did that look like for you? It was fairly organic. Because a lot of people I encounter, a lot of people, when we talk about building your network, I'm always here, there, everywhere. So I'm always meeting new people who are trying to understand and, you know, keeping it transparent. And you know this well, when you're out and about at these networking events, people really are just trying to pick your brain to see how can you help me? That's all they want. They want you to help them in whatever their endeavor is. So when you start encountering people and they start asking, well, you know, who are you connected to and what can you do for me? And I thought, I can do a lot. And why am I doing this for free? (laughs) You know, because I've always been the go-to person. That's both personal and professional. Kimara, do you know this person? Can you help me with this? Can you coach me on whatever the topic is? And so I've always been a go-to person. Even when I was growing up teenager and into early years of college, People understood that I was a content expert because I worked to be one for myself. So when people started continuing to ask me to do things, and I thought, this is something I should get paid for. So that's when I started saying, you know what, I'm going to stop doing all this for free and I'm going to start leveraging my expertise for a stream of income. And so that's where it was kind of born out of, like I said, it was organic. I really, that was not a direction I had initially thought I would go in. But when you're continuing to pour into people, and not getting compensated for it, you're thinking, yeah, I need to rethink this thing and understand how I can leverage my expertise, my connections, my footprint to, you know, benefit myself and my family. So that's how it kind of came about. Now, for what you do for the consulting end, because I know I've, like we've talked about, I have a few people I know that do HR consulting as well, but what makes you unique from other consultants or other prof- like you? I love the networking group example because it's so true, and I'm just laughing to myself right now. But what makes you more unique than other HR consultants, or what's kind of like your bread and butter, what you love doing? I believe I'm unique because I'm not one note, meaning I have not just done my entire career in one industry. So even when I present myself to employers, if I'm in a job interview setting, what's attractive is that I can pivot. Really, when I coach people, and you do, I'm sure do this as well, you have to help people understand what is the crosswalk? What are your skill sets that you can then bring to the table to any industry or environment? Because a lot of people are very leery to pivot to another situation because, oh, I've always been in this industry, I've always done this, but there is a crosswalk. And so I think one of my big value to any client is I know the crosswalk. I can analyze what it is that you need what your deliverable is, what the project is, what the resources are needed. And I can bring a non-traditional lens to it because I've been in every industry. I understand manufacturing. I understand supply chain. I've been in higher ed. 
you know, medical environments. And all of those have, for example, regulatory lens to it. All of them have unique people sourcing lens to it. So because I've been in many different environments, I can bring a varied lens to a project or a client. So that's very unique because a lot of consultants can kind of tell, hey, I've been in X industry for 30 years. They've only been in that industry. They cannot speak to any other environment, issues, concerns, challenges, barriers, just one note. My value and I think what I bring to the table is I don't have that barrier. I've been almost in every industry you can think of. I can speak to that and have that lens when needed and can do the crosswalk, which I think is super important. I'm going to steal that crosswalk example. For career coaching, that's it. It's exactly what it is. You know, people sometimes, again, because you're a very visual person, when we're speaking with folks and trying to bring them to the next level, they need to understand where you are versus where you want to be. And that's a crosswalk. It's a bridge. And people put themselves in a box when you don't have to. You absolutely can transition and transfer those skills, those abilities, those expertise, that lens to the next thing. So it's really helping them to understand, how do I explain that? You know, how do I process that? Because you have to sell that because many people don't understand, well, how could you go from healthcare management to manufacturing? It's night and day. No, it's really not night and day. And here's why. It's so true. And I think I've talked about this on other episodes, but it's like, I feel everyone feels like they should know everything. I mean, I have a conversation, free consultations. They're like, well, I don't know how to write a resume or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. And I don't know how to implement a technical solution. Like everyone's got their expertise and I'd love- Exactly. There's a niche. Right. And even with HR, and that's a huge proponent of it, of yes, I did have a little bit of HR experience more on the recruiting side, it dipped into the you know paperwork and all that fun HR issues. But I am not a SHRM certified professional. I am not someone that does it. And that's where I know my expertise and need someone to help with that. But I love that you offer that consulting and especially on the diversity, equity and inclusion side, because a lot of companies are not inclusive and just understanding how they know that they're not and how you can move in the future and be a more inclusive environment, get better employees and have that diversity because you need it. So I want to talk, especially on that piece, what are some of the issues a lot of companies, how they're not inclusive or what are some of those red flags either candidates can look for when they're going through the interview process? Or what does that kind of look like? And how do you help with that like training piece of it? I will start with the coaching side and go into when I'm working with the company. When I'm coaching a client for movement in their career and they're looking at certain companies. And, you know, as we know, two and a half years ago, every company on the planet did their magical DEI statement. Oh, we're pouring six figures, millions of dollars into the DEI space. But what you want to look at is go to their website, look at their board of directors, go to their website, look at their org chart, look at their leadership structure. Do you see diversity? If the answer is no, then all they're doing is checking the box. This is smoke and mirrors. So again, if this is an environment that you still want to step into and you're saying, you know what, I'm not trying to be a champion. I'm just trying to get some coins. Okay. It's what your reality and your mindset is stepping into that company space. When I'm working with companies who say, and again, smoke and mirrors for the most part, unfortunately, we are not anywhere close to where we need to be, where companies pretend they are, you know, based on these magical DEI statements. But 
when I work with them, the first thing I talk to them about it, well, who's on board with this? Is this an HR initiative? Which DEI is not human resources initiative. This is a company-wide top-bottom initiative. So if I'm not speaking with someone in the C-suite, preferably the president, the CEO, executive director regarding what is your lens, what are your goals, what do you want to achieve? If I'm talking to what I'm going to call mid-level manager or just specifically it's an HR initiative, I already know it's going to fail. It cannot live and breathe in human resources. It comes from the top. If I don't get buy-in from executive leadership, this is a waste of time. And I could take your coins. There are many companies that will give us a lot of money because DEI is hot. It's trendy. Everybody's into DEI. So those of us who have been doing DEI, and I've been doing DEI consulting before it was trendy, 20 years ago, when it wasn't, you know, it was just diversity. It was not all of these other acronyms. So I've been in the game a long time and have seen it not go anywhere. I mean, we're not really that much further than we were back then. But, you know, it's there are sound bites now. It's in the news. Back in the day, you didn't really talk about it. You know, so for me, if I don't see tangible buy-in from executive leadership, I'm not going to take you as a client because it's a waste of my time. And as my grandmother says, all money is not good money. I'm not going to waste my time and my talent, my efforts and my support and support structures for something I know is going to fail and then my name is on it. Because two or three years down the road, you are nowhere close to where I could have taken you had you been truly invested in the process. So that's what I tell candidates. You need to research the company that you're interviewing for. You're interviewing them just like they're interviewing you. And if you do not see diversity, if you don't see someone that looks like you, black or brown in my case, a woman in my case, if I don't see any of that represented in executive leadership, in your board of directors, anyone that's a decision maker, it's a red flag for me. And it's so funny because uh, you can't see my face listening to this, but I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. Because it's true. I mean, I remember getting out of college and I worked in a male dominated environment, white male, old white male dominated environment. I'm like, we're long past this. Like there's not, you know, pay discrepancy or anything like this is not an issue anymore. And then I realized my male counterparts were all making $18,000 more than me. And I was top recruiter making them half a million dollars in profit, but I had the lowest salary. And it's having these conversations for other people. And I operate from the standpoint of don't be stupid like me and getting into these situations. But also in your case of coaching clients is it's like, know when you're getting taken advantage of and like you said, they're interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing them. And I love that point. And that's something I try to drill down to people. But I love that your grandmother said not all money is good money. Not all money is good money. And a lot of consultants, and you know them, will take money just to get the contract. I will not do that because I'm a big proponent of energy. And if the company in my mind has bad energy, then I'm bringing that into my space, into my company, into my life. I'm just not going to do it. We must align. Now, if I feel like you might be on the path to that, I might do a little work to see where I might be able to take you. And if you're amenable to the guidance and the plans I put in place, then maybe we can take it a little further. But generally speaking, I have learned over the years to listen to my gut, listen to my instinct. And when it's a red flag, I pivot. Thank you very much. Wish you well. I love that energy piece because that was the thought in my head to bring up is it's not worth the energy. I mean, it affects your relationship with your partner. It affects, in your case, with your kids. I mean, 
you take that negative energy home and it's like, for what? And I've learned that over the years, the hard way. Same. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone that started their own consulting or business kind of feels that because I was like, I need to, I say yes to everyone. And it's, you know, I would get upset and be like, oh, they're been so terrible for me. And it's just not worth it now. And then when people inflicted, it was self-inflicted drama, stress, chaos, and protecting my peace. And again, this takes years. And that's when I talk to folks who are emerging in their careers. Please get this. Please learn this early. Protect your peace at all times. Right. I always relate it back to a bad relationship where if it's like an interaction with a client, with a company you work for or anything, it's like people stay in relationships for probably too long because they're comfortable or it's like, yes, this is horrible, but I can't see the other side or I can't see what that looks like. You know, and I love what you do. And I love bringing that piece of it of, hey, we need to have these tough conversations. I mean, especially over the past two years that have been traumatic as a woman, as someone of color and everything else that's happened in this world. Like, have these companies said something? Did they say something? And are they acting on it? Does the board of directors, someone look like you? Oh, my gosh, I had a picture of a board of directors that I found like a few weeks ago. All men. Probably I think the youngest one was like 55. And I'm like, y'all gonna like die in these positions? Like, what? And I love that point that you bring up because there's no reason that people can't grow. And that back to my first company, I'm like, we're in leadership. There's not a single woman in leadership. Everyone's in their 50s to 60s there. I'm like, okay, so what? I need to wait till someone dies to get into it. And you don't even have someone. And even then you may not. Exactly, not guaranteed. And so the research of the company is the key. And even if you decide I'm still going to take this interview, ask the question. I don't see a lot of diversity on your board of directors. Talk to me about why. Do you not have viable candidates that have been approached, that have been vetted? Why do I not see anybody like me when the demographic of your client, your supporters, you know, the people that you touch, be it client, customer, whoever it is, why don't you have one person in the C-suite? and or your board that looks like them. Explain. Sometimes people are so, and lack of a better term, desperate in that moment. They don't want to do anything to rock the boat. But reality, you need to go into these interviews with those difficult questions. They need to be able and be prepared to answer that. And if they don't, red flag, because then you will not have any movement. Even as a woman, you and I are women competing in very difficult spaces. If there's not one woman in leadership, why? I need to know the answer because I don't want to be stuck in a rut where I have no movement whatsoever within this company. Why would anybody willingly or knowingly step into that space? Not if you want forward growth in your career. So those are questions we as women need to be empowered to ask and you need to build yourself up to be able to ask them. That's another conversation. Oh, so many conversations. This could probably be a five-hour podcast of all the issues we need to address in corporate America, but I digress. And it's interesting. And I always say it's a reflection of how they are. So if you ask these tough questions and they're on edge about it, or they're like, oh, well, you know, just getting offended, that's a reflection of how the company is going to be when you work there. And then you're going to be back to the drawing board a month later because you've made the mistake of taking this opportunity because of the place of desperation like you were talking about. And they know that. Again, when we talk about energy, yet another conversation, when you walk into those spaces, and it's not just interviewing for a job, it's interviewing for a consulting gig, 
It's interviewing to be let into the network. We all know there is sort of the old guard wall. You need to push past that as women in leadership and in business. So you're interviewing to be able to get into that space. And we need to really be empowered to understand asking the questions. And when we get the answer, go with it. When they showed you who they are, okay, I'm good. I don't need you to open the door. I'm just going to get my sledgehammer and I'm going to break it down. Don't need your help. Thanks. My friend and I, we talked about that. I don't think I came up with this idea. I read it somewhere. I don't know. It's not my original idea, but it was something along the lines of when you leave a conversation or an interaction, how do you feel? Check in with yourself. How is your energy? Like right now, I feel like I could go run a marathon. Like I'm amped up from this conversation. I feel empowered. I feel great. And that goes with anything in your relationships, in a job, after an interview, working with a client. And it's so interesting because said friend, she will text me and be like, I always think of you like my friends. I just feel like worse after meeting with them. And it's just like they're not a friend I want to put energy into as much, even though we've been friends for 30 plus years. So it's so interesting in that concept that I try to share that with everyone and tell people personal, professional, you should not be personal you, you should not be professional you, they need to mend a little bit, you know, but you shouldn't have to turn it on of who you are in a corporate job, because that's so draining on your energy again. When you have to go into a workspace where you cannot be your authentic self, it's humiliating, it's demeaning, it's draining. You cannot bring your best self to work. That means I cannot deliver on projects, on outcomes, anything that I'm supposed to be doing that moves the company or organization forward. I can't possibly do that because I can't even bring my authentic self to work, which means I can't bring my best self to work. So it's code switching 101. And those of us who are minorities, and that's women, that's black and brown women in leadership, we understand code switching. We've been had to do it for decades, but we're getting to the point now where we're going to refuse to do that. And so I'm going to wear my natural hair to work. It's the hair that grows out of my head. That's professional. You know, I'm going to make sure that I bring my authentic self to work and everything that that means. I think it's evolving. I think we as women in leadership are understanding the power in that, where we're saying no more. We're not going to allow you to suppress us. We're going to bring our best self forward and do with it as you may. Right. You will attract the right people back to you. Like those people that support and I've had back, which is so funny because I don't even feel like I say anything crazy. I mean, I, I am this way all the time, as you know this, me personally and professionally, but it's interesting of like whatever post or like, oh, you're really like putting yourself out there like that? Or, oh, you really swore on that? I'm like, I swore in this situation to get my point across of how fired up and pissed off I am at this. And it's, you know, I'm at that point where I make posts on LinkedIn, you've seen them of, I say, here's the problem in corporate America. Here's like a pay discrepancy. Here's a horror client story that I talked to yesterday. But the people that disagree with me or come at me for the whole like, that don't really understand what DEI is. It's always the same people. But the people that follow you are the ones attacking them. And it's so funny. I just sit there and eat my popcorn. And I'm just like watching the comments. I'm like, go off. I'm just gonna sit here and watch it. And thanks for having my back. And I think the number one thing a lot of people have a hard time with like, standing up and saying something calling out injustices or calling out when things are bad at corporate personal, whatever, is well, the backlash. I always hear, I don't want the haters or trolls or anything. I'm like, 
That's when you made it, sweetie. I'll tell you something else. It's a self-esteem issue because if I'm so concerned that really what you think and feel moves me, I need to check myself. I need to do some self-reflection because you're not paying my bills. You're not taking care of my family. You're doing nothing to advance me personally or professionally. So why am I so concerned about a troll? I'm not a vet. Watch me shine. Please come on in because I'm going to continue to do my thing. And to me, if you're not doing anything, that's when they're going to be quiet. You know, so I need to continue to do the most, let you watch. And I can go toe to toe with the troll any day of the week. Bring it. It's my favorite. Thing. That's where I am on it. Yes. And it, it's so funny because I don't know why this is like the reoccurring thing of a conversation, but we we're talking about like, and I had this conversation with my boyfriend last night actually was like, what would high school you say who you are now? And I'm like, oh, I'm who I like admired. I was never this way. I was always don't rock the boat, sit there, be quiet. I'm super shy. And now I'm like, who wants to hear it? Let's hear it. Especially over the last two years with like people that work in food and beverage, hospitality. I've screamed at crazy people that are just being so rude to these members of these organ servers workers at Kroger, I'm like, they're like crying to me. They're like, thank you so much. Just say it's like, just have some human decency. You know what I mean? Like it's... Yes, these are human beings. Right. They're providing a service under very difficult circumstances for very little money. Why are you going in and, you know, like you say, really just being mean and inappropriate? It's silly. And I've called it out time and time again. And they are so thankful that people are actually standing up on their behalf. Because it's absolutely ridiculous. But I've gone to business meetings and dinners, and I'm sure you have as well. And I watch how people treat folks in the service industry and how you treat them is how you treat your employees, how you treat them is how you treat your clients, because you feel like you're up here and everyone else is below you. And then there's a red flag there. I'm giving you the side eye because I know if you're treating them that way, at some point you're going to treat me that way. And so let me understand the limit of my interaction with you. How far do I want to take this business relationship or do I want to be bothered at all? You know, so I watch how people interact with others. How you treat others is really a reflection of yourself. And it's very important that we treat people with dignity and respect because we never know what kind of mental health challenges someone is encountering. It could be just that day. It could be ongoing. It could be a chronic diagnosis and you could be the person that sets them off. You don't know. There have been days I have been on the edge of a breakdown, and we all have been there, especially during the last three years. So we don't know what someone is going through. Be kind. It takes no money. It's free. It's free. <laughs> it's so true, too. Or you just never know who you're in the room with or who you're interacting with. I mean, fun fact, I helped my uncle at his restaurant. He started a restaurant and kind of had to redo it during the pandemic because it was buffet. Can't do a buffet now, of course. But... I serve when he needs help. Like, you know, I do it because you're my uncle and I love you dearly. But, you know, it's like in a situation, if someone was rude to me, that could be someone I end up hiring because I hire in the Metro Detroit area. And it's just, I really have those situations because, you know, I've, I don't want to even say an attitude on me, but I have no problem like calling out poor behavior type deal. So I don't let it affect me anymore. But it's just so interesting. Or I've heard, like I've seen on LinkedIn where, you know, you cut someone off in the parking lot or I was rude to someone behind me in Starbucks and that ended up being the person that's interviewing you and you, agree. The job. you just don't know. Right. The world is so small. It's, it's smaller just... than we could ever imagine or a lot of times even acknowledge. 
So we need to just be kind, treat people with care and concern. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. It helps you emotionally and spiritually. And we just need to do it. And if it's not inherent to your nature, fake it till you make it. Be an Academy Award winning actor and actress in that moment. I love that. You can do it. Right. Exactly. Now, I know we've been going back and forth with like how we were, you know, growing up and whatnot. What piece of advice would you give your 18 year old self? If I could go back to being 18 years old, do the things, do all the things. That point of your life, foremost, you don't have any children, you're not married, you have the flexibility and the opportunities are endless. Step outside of your box, push through fear. The reason why I did not go to the Air Force Academy and then go to law school and then become a JAG in the Air Force is because I was afraid. Fear is paralyzing. It stops growth. It stops emotional growth. It stops your professional growth. It stops everything positive. You have to turn that fear into action. So if I could talk to myself, and I do talk to 18-year-olds, push through the fear. Because on the other side of fear is success. It's growth. It's prospering. That moment, you have to get past it. And it's paralyzing. I've experienced it many times during my life. But 18 years old, I was so afraid. And oh, how I wish I could speak to myself then. But it was a learning, you know, it was a learning opportunity. I look back on that. I can literally see the fork in the road and I regret it. It's one of my few regrets. I don't regret a whole lot of things in my life. I do regret not stepping through the fear. And I think, especially being a woman, and maybe this was just my experience, but I just feel like it's, you know, don't be too loud. Don't, you know, say too much, you know, stay in your lane type deal. And they, you know, they in air quotes have told us, Stay in your place. Don't talk. Don't push back. And you know what? No, we're not doing that anymore. I love looking back and, you know, you have to go through different situations. Had you gone to the Air Force, you and I probably would not have met. So we would not have met. I would not have met John. I would not have had the kids that I have now. So things happen for a reason. I just stepped down the path of not going to the Air Force Academy, but going here. And I've had a good life. I've had some challenges along the way. You know, I'm a domestic violence survivor. So that's a story that I tell. So women understand that you can push through those times in your life where you, I've been at the depths of despair. I have been suicidal. I have been at the point where I didn't know where to turn. And so when people see me, I don't look like what I've been through. They really can't fathom the pain and the anguish and the things that I have pushed through to get where I am now. So I bring that lens and I bring that compassion and that empathy and that understanding to everything that I do personally and professionally. And it's worked for me. I've prospered by doing that. You know, we as women need to be holistic in our approach to ourselves, not just to others. I don't think I knew the whole story that you've just mentioned, but it is interesting because like you said, it's you don't know who you're interacting with or who's been through this. Or like, you don't know. And I hate the people that are like that of like, you don't understand and you don't know my situation. It's like, actually I did. And I've healed from that. So let me tell you and don't quick to be judging on things like that. I mean, that's right. Because people think, well, you don't know. Well, yes, I do. But you know what? I'll tell you something else. People need to understand if you can't heal on your own, get a good therapist. There is no shame in your game when you determine, I need to go to someone who is objective, who can give me tools and strategies 
to help process and work through. We have a lot of people, believe it or not, are walking around undiagnosed. They truly need to be in therapy and in some cases medicated. And that's what we're dealing with in the workplace. That's another issue. So we need to understand ourselves and understand our needs and reach out to those professionals that can help us. Because if you can't soar personally and emotionally, your career is, you know, shocked. That's not even going to be on a radar. You got to take care of yourself. Right. And then I will say if something I do like is that mental health is becoming, I don't want to say normalized, but it's more open. I mean, I see a therapist. I love her. I told her she needs to fix me so we can be friends because she's just so empowering. Like we like the same drinks. We talk about boys. She just went through a divorce. I just had a four and a half year breakup and it's fun. But it's just like you said, finding that person that understands you and there's no shame in therapy. And when I had first started it, she had said, she's like, let's get one thing down. Everyone should be in therapy. I don't care if you're all have issues. Everyone's got issues. Everyone's got things. If you had the perfect childhood and perfect life, good for you. We love that for you. But it's still, I mean, life's difficult. And it's especially over the last two years has been mentally draining. And yeah, had a few breakdowns. We love a good shower cry because the heat like takes off the puffiness of your eyes. Pro tip here. So I love that we're talking about this and normalizing this. Because even... Five years ago, we would not be speaking openly about, hey, the wonderful things about therapy and how it has helped us. And I definitely tell people, you know, when you've gone through traumatic incidents in your life, and believe it or not, more people than not have gone through some kind of trauma, either childhood and or adult, you need help processing that because it affects your interactions personally and professionally, you know, and it affects relationships, it affects trust. And if I can't trust in the workplace, I can't do my job effectively. So there are a lot of things that mental health touches. And, you know, I agree with you. I, th- I heard on one of your podcasts, you really didn't want to attribute anything positive to the pandemic. But what I will say is it did shine a spotlight on what was always happening. And that's mental health challenges. And so it did take some of the stigma away because even CEOs of Fortune 500 companies were breaking down on social media, literally saying, I have the company on my back. I don't know what to do. So when you see people being vulnerable in leadership spaces, it helps others. So I agree with you. There wasn't a whole lot of good that came out of it, but I do feel like there were spotlights on some things that were happening that now there's been some stigma taken away from it. So, And it's, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the perfect boss and I, you know, run my company so great and I'm the best, but mental health is number one. I had a very rough summer, like beginning of summer, and I just straight up told my employees, I go, I am not going to be the best for the next two months. And this is why I'm going to be relying on you a little bit more. You need me. I'm here all day, every day. But if I step away for a few hours, this is why. Now they feel comfortable, you know, coming to me and saying, hey, this is personally what's happening to me. And it's built us so much stronger as a team that there's no reason that these conversations can't be had. And if you don't feel comfortable going to a boss, it's just crazy. I mean, I have, unfortunately, this friend of a friend whose son, three, five, I forget how old he is, just diagnosed with life-ending illness, this rare disorder. He's actually in HR, crazy enough too. And he went to his manager and said, hey, can I work remote? I need to move to Chicago to get this help on this trial that supposedly will help him hopefully live longer. And they said, yeah, you can't work remote. Let him go. This just happened like a month ago. And it's just like, so crazy to me that these companies still exist. He put in all this time into this company. And it's just you need to ask these questions going back to your point about the interview of just 
how do you handle life happens? People die. Life happens. This has happened. Like, how is your company? How is your boss? How's the owner going to support it? And if they're not, don't work for them. Correct. And this is the other thing. The companies that turned on a dive never allowed their workforce to work remotely in positions that absolutely could work remotely. During the height of the pandemic, you know, hey, yes, you're working remotely. We're shipping your laptop to you. We're setting you up for success. Now, all of a sudden, they're all saying, oh, by the way, we're back to normal. And so you can no longer work remotely. Make that make sense. It doesn't. When it benefited you, I could work remotely. Now, when it benefits me, because I've understood, hey, this is wonderful. I have more autonomy over my day. I have more flexibility. And studies have shown people, for the most part, are more productive working from home because you forget what time it is. I can't tell you how many times I've worked into the night. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's eight o'clock. What the heck is going on? And so asking the questions, how flexible is this position? Life happens. If I have three months where I do need to have the flexibility of working remotely, is that a possibility? Yes or no? If they he and ha and do a song and dance routine, red flag. What does your company do to support me when life happens? That's a question and it's a thing. Ask the question. Maybe this will be a post we need to come up with together is the tough questions you should ask in an interview because that should be a good reason. Oh, I love that because people don't ask them or you think it, but you don't say it. And it's okay to ask it because at the end of the day, I'm an asset walking into that meeting. Even if I am unemployed at the moment, I am an asset. If you didn't think so, you wouldn't have called me for an interview. So I don't have to go into the interview bowing and scraping. So I'm going to ask the questions so I can understand, do I even want to continue the process? Maybe I don't want a second interview. You know, that's another scenario because if I'm going to four or five interviews and I still am not getting my questions answered, that's a red flag. It doesn't take 10 interviews to understand if I'm a good fit for the position or not. No, check your energy. Do you like the person? Do you feel good about them? Crazy. Huh. We just made an offer to someone. She'll, I think, start the week this podcast is going out. So we love that. But it's like we had applicants. She was the first one we interviewed. I loved her. I loved her. We moved her on. Team met her, loved her. And I was like, what's the point of interviewing? We interviewed like a handful more, identified someone else for another position. But it's like, I'm not wasting time. Like, I don't care to do it. And that's what, again, I'm not the perfect business owner. I don't do things perfect. But someone that knows what the hell they want, We'll just do it. And a good manager and owner, I don't have the time to sit here and interview 5,000 people. I don't have the care to. But it's like, I feel on good people. You can always train skills. You can't train on personality. You like their personality. They're a good fit. Amazing. Oh, getting me fired up today. I haven't been this fired up in a little bit, but I love these conversations. Me too. It's so great. And it's, you can have your cake and eat it too. I tell it to every candidate. I'm not going to say you're always going to double your salary or you're always going to get every single thing you want, but you can work remote. I would say, I mean, unless you're a doctor, a lawyer, you still can work remote actually as a lawyer, but anything you're physically doing, healthcare is a little difficult, but you can do this all remote. I can micromanage. If I want to, I can literally see where my employee's cursor is in our CRM. I don't care to do it. I can see the little light on Slack. I can see what they're updating, what they're doing. And it's just, I don't care. And if someone's going to be micromanaging you so much that they need to you to be in an office to micromanage you, no, run. You can work remote. Totally agree. We're going to keep filming after this is done because I just have so much to say now. But I love this. Now, going into 2023, what can we see from you? Or if people that are listening 
maybe want to hire you, what does kind of 2023 look like for you personally, professionally? What do you have in store? Well, for 2023, as I said, I want to elevate my brand. And by that, that, you know, that's sort of cliche. I want to be, when people see me out and about, I want to be representing myself more and not necessarily all the organizations that I'm on some kind of volunteer leadership role. So when someone sees me at an event, I want them to see me more as, oh, that's Kimora Mayberry, the consultant versus, oh, she's a member of Zeta or she's uh, leading Detroit Sheriff. Yes, those are aspects of what I'm doing. I want to do those to the best of my ability and represent them well, but I also want to represent myself. So I want that to kind of bubble to the forefront. And as I said, for me, I'm going to be doing more of what I can do to elevate myself professionally. You know, I have a day job. My consulting is a side gig. And so I want to elevate myself to a role where I am a decision maker for my entire workforce. And so that means I need to be in somebody's C-suite. And I have earned that. I have the expertise. I have the knowledge. I have the experience. I have the education and the credentials. It's me. I'm the barrier. <laughs> so I have to figure out why is it I have not stepped confidently into those spaces and demanded what I feel like I have earned. So that's what I will be doing for myself. So as I said off camera before we started recording, 2023 is the year of no to others and the year of yes to me. That's what we're going to see. I love that. That's incredible. My last question for you, although we could go for another five hours, I'm sure. But we did it. Part two, part two. <laughs> part two. Yes, we'll do it. Well, hey, next year, maybe end of next year, you're like, oh, look, I have this ragingly successful business. And look, remember when I said I was afraid? Look at me now. So we'll do that. There we go. We'll manifest that now. But for anyone listening, what piece of advice would you give them? Bet on yourself. Be confident in what you bring to the table and whatever that it factor is, because we all have something unique that sets us apart from others. And you really need to leverage that, highlight it, build that up, because it is a very competitive space. But as we said, we all can eat. There is enough business to go around. We don't have to just, to me, fighting each other tooth and nail. I feel like we need to collaborate more. Stop reinventing the wheel. If you have a direct competitor, hey, how can we collaborate? How can we help one another? If your infrastructure is better than mine, if your support structure is better than mine, how can you help me and vice versa? Versus the just head-to-head -head competition, yes, there's always an element of that in business, but there's not enough collaboration. So bet on yourself. Get out there. For folks who say, I hate networking, that needs to be eliminated from your vocabulary because you have to network in person. You need to get your social media presence. I'm going to be leaning in to Angela and her team because I need some support on social media. I know some, I do have social media for a lot of organizations, but I don't know top tier strategies. And I'm going to be leveraging people who do. And Angela and her team are experts. So lean into the experts, bet on yourself invest in yourself. If you need to pay for a coach, pay for a coach. You know, get with somebody to help you map out strategies for what you want to do. Paying consultants, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you need to do it for a season. So bet on yourself for money, time, attention, energy into yourself and your endeavors. It's not selfish, it's self-care. And you know your expertise and you know where it's not. Opportunity cost of learning it yourself versus someone that has that experience. Crazy concept. 
Kamara, this was so much fun. I know we went way over than what I told you how long it would be. Oh, I loved it. I so enjoy speaking with you. And again, I'm so, so proud of you. Thank you. You really just decided at a low point of your career, anybody who has been released from a job, either laid off, terminated, or for whatever reason, it is a low point. And it's difficult to crawl out of that space and say, you know what? I'm going to put my best foot forward. It really can affect you so much mentally and emotionally. You say, you know what? I'm going to take this energy and I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. I'm so proud of you. And you are so much an example to other women who have gone through professional challenges and feel like I'm stuck. I have to be here. No, you don't. You don't. Right. Soar, girl. You can do it. You just made my whole day. Thank you for that. But it's true. I mean, I never would have done this. I never got fired. I would have never started a podcast. This podcast came from a place of fear and a friend forcing me to do it on our first episode. It's I mean, excellent. It is so good. I'm telling your audience, y'all need to go for a podcast. I'm just going to keep you around to hype me up. And I don't just say that. People who know me know I don't just gas people up. It is really good. It's funny. It's informative. It's educational. And she has a great range of guests. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. I love podcasts and there are a lot of them that are just a mess, but yours is really good. So I encourage your audience to really go in and subscribe. You're amazing. Thank you. I swear I didn't pay her to say that. I swear. She said it on her own now. <laughs> this is unpaid. <laughs> unpaid here, I swear. But thank you so much. And it's just so funny. And it's like, you know, look at yourself in the mirror too. If it's everything you're saying about me, like I hope you say about yourself too. And is it like, you know, when you're talking about your business or operating from a place of fear, like we talked about multiple times on this, and it's just like, do the damn thing. I could say it till I'm blue in the face, you know? That's it. Do it. Step out. You won't be sorry. You won't be sorry. Okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity. I was honored to be on the podcast and Look forward to interacting with you. At some point this year, we need to get together, do something. I know. I'm going to put a calendar together because I said I want someone I meet every week, at least. Like someone, it's outside of like my core circle, you know, I need to do that. So yes, we will talk about that. But for those of you listening, thank you for tuning in to another episode of That's Business. You want to follow Kamara and her journey as she continues through social media. All of her information's in the show notes and tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, The Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.